BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 26 of The Middle of Things. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Middle of Things by J. S. Fletcher. Chapter 26. The Dismal Street. Unknown to those who had taken part in the conference at Viner's house, unknown even to Carlos, who, in the multiplicity of his engagements, had forgotten the instructions which he had given on the previous afternoon to Portlethwaite, a strict watch was being kept on the man round whom all the events of that morning had centred. Portlethwaite, after Methley and his client had left Carless and Driver's office, had given certain instructions to one of his fellow-clerks, a man named Millwaters, in whose prowess as a spy he had unlimited belief. Millwaters was a fellow of experience. He possessed all the qualities of a sleuth-hound, and was not easily baffled in difficult adventures. In his time he had watched erring husbands and doubtful wives. He had followed more than one high-placed wrongdoer running away from the consequences of forgery or embezzlement. He had conducted secret investigations into the behavior of persons about whom his employers wanted to know something. In person and appearance he was eminently fitted for his job, a little inconspicuous, plain-featured man who contrived to look as if he never saw anything— and to him, knowing that he was to be thoroughly depended upon, Portlethwaite had given precise orders. "'You'll go up to Lancaster Gate tonight, Millwaters, and get a good look at that chap,' Portlethwaite had told him. "'Take plenty of money. I'll speak to the cashier about that, and be prepared for anything, even to following if he bolts. "'Once you've seen him, you're not to lose sight of him. Make sure of him last thing today and first thing tomorrow.' "'Follow him wherever he goes. Make a note of wherever he goes, and particularly of whoever he meets. And if there's need, ring me up here, and let's know what's happening, or if you want assistance.' There was no need for Millwaters to promise faithful compliance. Portlethwaite knew well enough that to put him on a trail was equivalent to putting a hound on the scent of a fox or a terrier to the run of a rat.' And that evening, Millwaters, who had clever ways of his own, made himself well acquainted with the so-called Mr. Cave's appearance, and assured himself that his man had gone peacefully to rest at his hotel, and he had seen him again before breakfast next morning, and had been in quiet and unobtrusive attendance upon him, when, later, he visited Methley's office and subsequently walked away with Methley to the police court. And Millwaters was in the police court, meditatively sucking peppermint lozenges in a corner, when Mr. Cave was unexpectedly asked to give evidence. He was there, too, until Mr. Cave left the court. Cave's remarkable story ran off Millwaters' mentality like raindrops off a steep roof. It mattered nothing to him. He did not care the value of a brass button if Cave was Earl of Ellingham or Duke of Ditchmore. His job was to keep his eye on him, whoever he was. And so, when Viner and his party went round to Markendale Square, Millwater slunk along in their rear, and at a corner of the square he remained, lounging about, until his quarry reappeared. 
Two or three of the other men came out with Cave, but Millwaters noticed that Cave immediately separated from them. He was evidently impressing upon them that he was in a great hurry about something or other, and sped away from them. Millwaters's cold eye upon him. And within a minute Millwaters had observed what seemed to him highly suspicious circumstance. Cave, on leaving the others, had shot off down a side street in the direction of Lancaster Gate, but as soon as he was out of sight of Markendale Square, had doubled in his tracks, hurried down another turning, and sped away as fast as he could walk towards Paddington Station. Millwaters, shorter in the leg than the tall man in front, had to hurry to keep him in sight, but he was never far behind as Cave hastened along Craven Road and made for the terminus. Once or twice in this chase the quarry lifted a hand to an approaching taxicab, only to find each was engaged. It was not until he and his pursuer were in front of the Great Western Hotel that Cave found an empty cab, hailed it, and sprang in. Millwaters grinned quietly at that. He was used to this sort of chase, and he had memorized car and number before Cave had been driven off. It was a mere detail to charter the next, and to give a quiet word and wink to its chauffeur, who was opening its door for Millwaters, when a third person came gently alongside and tapped the clerk's shoulder. Millwaters turned sharply and encountered Mr. Perkwatch's shrewd eyes. "'All right, Millwaters,' said the barrister. "'I know what you're after. I'm after the same bird. We'll go together.' Millwaters knew Mr. Perkwite very well as a promising young barrister whom Carless and Driver sometimes favoured with briefs. Mr. Perkwite's presence did not disturb him. He moved into the farther corner, and Mr. Perkwite slipped inside. The car moved off in pursuit of the one in front. "'So you're on that game, Mr. Perkwite?' remarked Millwaters. "'Ah, and who might have got you on to it, if one may ask?' "'You know that I was at your people's office yesterday?' said Perkwite. "'Saw you there?' replied Millwaters. "'It was about this business,' said the barrister. "'Did you see me in the police court this morning?' "'I did, listening for all you were worth,' answered the clerk. "'And I dare say you saw me go with the rest of them to Mr. Viner's, in Markendale Square,' said Parkwhite. "'Right again, sir,' assented Millwaters. "'I did.' "'This fellow in front,' observed Parkwhite, "'made some statements at Viner's in answer to your principal, Mr. Carless, "'which inclined me to the opinion that he's an impostor "'in spite of his carefully concocted stories.' "'Shouldn't wander, Mr. Perkwhite,' said Millwaters. "'But that's not my business. "'My job is to keep him under observation.' "'That's what I set out to do when I came out of Viner's,' said the barrister. "'He's up to something. "'He assured us as we left the house that he'd a most pressing engagement at his hotel in Lancaster Gate. "'The next minute, happening to glance down a side street, I saw him cutting off in the direction of Paddington. "'And now he's evidently making for the city.' "'Well, I'm after him,' remarked Millwaters. "'He leaned out of his window, called the chauffeur, and gave him some further instructions.' "'Intelligent chap, this Mr. Parkwhite,' he said as he sat down again. "'He understands. Some of them are poor hands at this sort of game.' "'You're a pretty good hand yourself, I think,' suggested the barrister with a smile. "'Ought to be,' said Millwaters. "'Had plenty of experience, anyway.' It seemed to Perkwhite that his companion kept no particular observation on the car in front as it sped along to and through the northern edge of the city and beyond. But Millwaters woke to action as their own car— progressed up Whitechapel Road, and suddenly he gave a warning word to the barrister, and a smart tap on the window behind their driver. The car came to a halt by the curb, and Millwater, slipping out, pushed some money into the man's hand, and drew Perkwhite amongst the people who were crowding the sidewalk. The barrister looked in front and around, and seemed at a loss. "'Where is he?' he asked. "'Hang it! I've lost him!' "'I haven't,' said Millwaters. He left his car before we left ours. Our man knew what he was after. He slowed up and passed him, until I saw where he went. He twisted Parkwhite round and pointed to the mouth of a street which they had just passed. "'He's gone down there,' he said. "'Nice neighborhood, too. I know something of it. Now, Mr. Parkwhite, if you please, we'll separate. You take the right of that street, I'll take the left. Keep a lookout for my gentleman's Homburg hat.' "'Gray with a black band, and keep the tail of your eye on me, too.' Cave's headgear was easily followed down the squalid street. Its owner went swiftly ahead, with Millwaters in pursuit on one pavement, and the barrister on the other, until he finally turned into a narrower and shabbier thoroughfare. Then the clerk hurried across the road, attracted Perkwhite's attention, winked at him as he passed without checking his pace, and whispered two or three words, "'Wait, by the street corner.' 
Perkwite pulled up, and Millwaters went down the dismal street in pursuit of the Homburg hat. This excellent indication of its owner's presence suddenly vanished from Perkwite's sight, and presently Millwaters came back. "'Ran him to earth for the time being, anyway,' he said. "'He's gone into a surgery down there, a Dr. Martin Coles. Number 23 brass plate on door next to a drug shop. Suspicious sort of spot altogether.' "'Well?' demanded Perkwite. "'What next? You know best, Millwaters.' The clerk jerked a thumb down the side of the dismal street on which they were standing. "'There's a public house down there,' he said, almost opposite this surgery. "'Fairly decent place for this neighborhood. Bar parlor looking out on the street. Better slip in there and look quietly out. But remember, Mr. Perkwite, don't seem to be watching anything. We're just going in for a bottle of ale and talking business together.' "'Whatever you recommend,' said Perkwite. He followed his companion down the street to the tavern, a joyless and shabby place, the bar-parlour of which a dark and smoke-stained room was just then empty, and looked over its torn half-blind across the way. "'Certainly a queer place for a man who professes to be a peer of the realm to visit,' he muttered. "'Well, now, what do you propose to do, Millwaters?' "'Hang about here and watch,' whispered the clerk. "'Look out.' A face, heavy and bloated, appeared at a hatch window at the back of the room, and a gruff voice made itself heard. "'Any orders, gents?' Two bottles of bass, Governor,' responded Millwaters promptly, dropping into colloquial cockney speech. He turned to Perkwite and winked. "'Well, and what about this ere bit of business I've come round about, mister?' he went on, nudging his companion in free and easy style. "'You see, it's this ere way with us. If you can let us have that there stuff reasonable, you see?' He drew Perkwite over to the window and began to whisper, "'That'll satisfy him,' he said with a sharp glance at the little room behind the hatch where the landlord was drawing corks. "'He'll think we're doing a bit of trade, so we've nothing to do but stand in this window and keep an eye on the street. Out of this I'm not going till I see whether that fellow comes out or stops in.' Some time had passed, and Millwaters had been obliged to repeat his order for bottled bass before anything took place in the street outside. Suddenly he touched his companion's elbow. "'Here's a taxicab coming along and slowing up for somewhere about here,' he whispered. "'And, Lord, if there aren't two ladies in it, in a spot like this! And, whew!' he went on excitedly. "'Do you see him, Mr. Parkwhite? The young un's Miss Wickham, who came to our office about this Ashton affair. I don't know who the old un is, but she evidently knows her way.' The berry-faced landlord had now shut down the hatch, and his two bar-parlour customers were alone and unobserved. Perkwide drew away from the window, pulling Millwaters by the sleeve. "'Careful,' he said. "'There's something seriously wrong here, Millwaters. What's Miss Wickham being brought down here for? See, they've gone into the surgery, and the car's going off. Look here, we've got to do something, and at once.' But Millwaters shook his head. "'Not my job, Mr. Perkwide,' he answered. "'My business is with the man, Cave. I've nothing to do with Miss Wickham, sir, nor with the old lady that's taken her in there. Cave's my mark.' "'Queer that the young lady's gone there, no doubt, but no affair of mine.' "'It's going to be an affair of mine, then,' said Perkwite. "'I'm going off to the police.' Millwaters put out a detaining hand. "'Don't, Mr. Perkwite,' he said. "'To get police into a quarter like this is as bad as putting a light to dry straw. "'I'll tell you a better plan than that, sir. "'Find the nearest telephone box and call up our people. "'Call Mr. Carless. "'Tell him what you've seen and get him to come down and bring somebody with him.' "'That'll be far better than calling the police in.' "'Give me your telephone number, then,' said Perkwite, "'and keep a strict watch while I'm away.' Millwaters repeated some figures and a letter, and Perkwite ran off up the street and toward the Whitechapel Road, anxiously seeking for a telephone booth. It was not until he had got into the main thoroughfare that he found one. He then had some slight delay in getting in communication with Carless and Driver's office. Twenty minutes had elapsed by the time he got back to the dismal street.' At its corner he encountered Millwaters lounging about hands in pockets. Millwaters wagged his head. "'Here's another queer go,' he said. "'There's been another arrival at number 23, not five minutes since. Another of our little lot.' "'Who?' demanded Perkwite. "'Viner,' replied Millwaters. "'Came peeping and perking along the street, took a glimpse of the premises and the adjacent purlieus, rang at number 23, and was let in by the party that came with Miss Wickham.' "'Now, whatever can he be doing there, Mr. Perkwite?' "'Whatever can any of them be doing there?' muttered Perkwite. "'Viner, what business can he have in this place? "'It seems, by George Millwaters,' he suddenly exclaimed, "'what if this is some infernal plant, a trap, something of that sort? "'Do you know, in spite of what you say, "'I really think we ought to get hold of the nearest police and tell them—' 
Wait, Mr. Perkwite, counseled Millwaters. Our governor is a pretty, cute, and smart sort, and he's vastly interested in this Miss Wickham, so Portlethwaite and he'll be on their way down here, now, hot foot, and with help, too, if he thinks she's in any danger. Now, he can go straight to that door and demand to see her, and— Why can't we? interrupted Perkwite. I'd do it. Lord, man, she may be in real peril. Not while Viner's in there— said Millwaters quietly. I might possibly have gone and rung the bell myself, but for that. But Viner's in there. Wait. And Perkwite waited, chafing at the corner of the dismal street, until a quarter of an hour had passed. Then a car came hurrying along and pulled up as Millwaters and his companion were reached, and from it sprang Mr. Carless, Lord Ellingham, and two men in plain clothes, at the sight of whom Perkwite heaved a huge sigh of intense relief. End of chapter 26 The Dismal Street Chapter 27 Of the Middle of Things This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Middle of Things by J. S. Fletcher Chapter 27 The Bagway Viner was so sure that the sound which he had heard on Mrs. Killenhall's retirement was that caused by the turning of a key or slipping of a lock in the door by which he had entered, that before speaking to Miss Wickham he instantly stepped back and tried it. To his astonishment it opened readily, but the anteroom outside was empty. Mrs. Killenhall had evidently walked straight through it and disappeared. "'That's odd,' he said, turning to Miss Wickham. I distinctly thought I heard something like the snap of a lock or a bolt or something, didn't you? I certainly heard a sound of that sort, admitted Miss Wickham. But the door's open, isn't it? Yes, that is so, answered Viner, who was distinctly puzzled. Yet, but then all this seems very odd. When did you come down here? About an hour ago, replied Miss Wickham, in a hurry. Do you know why? asked Viner. "'To see a Dr. Martin Cole, who is to tell us something about Mr. Ashton,' replied his fellow-sharer in these strange quarters. "'Didn't Mrs. Killenhall ask you to come down for the same purpose, Mr. Viner?' Viner, before he replied, looked round the room. Considering the extreme shabbiness and squalor of the surrounding district, he was greatly surprised to find that the apartment in which he and Miss Wickham waited was extremely well furnished if in an old-fashioned and rather heavy way. The walls were panelled in dark, age-stained oak, to the height of several feet. Above the panelling were arranged good oil pictures which Viner would have liked to examine at his leisure. Here and there, in cabinets, were many promising curiosities. There were old silver and brass things, and a shelf or two of well-bound books. Altogether the place and its effects were certainly not what Viner had expected to find in such a quarter. "'Yes,' he said at last, turning to his companion, "'that's what I was brought here for. Well, have you seen this doctor?' "'No,' answered Miss Wickham. "'Not yet.' "'Know anything about him?' suggested Viner. "'Nothing whatever. I have heard of him,' said Miss Wickham, with a glance of surprise. I suppose he, somehow, got into touch with Mrs. Killenhall. "'Queer,' remarked Viner. "'And why doesn't he come in?' Then, resolved to know more, he walked into the anteroom, and after a look round it, tried the door by which Mrs. Killenhall had admitted him, after coming up the stairs from the street. A second later he went back to Miss Wickham and shook his head. "'It's just as I supposed,' he remarked quietly. We're trapped. Anyway, the door of that anteroom is locked, and it's a strong lock. There's something wrong. The girl started, and paled a little, but Viner saw at once that she was not likely to be seriously frightened, and presently she laughed. How very queer, she said. But perhaps Mrs. Killenhall turned the key in the outer lock so that no patients or other callers, perhaps, should come in. "'Sorry, but that doesn't strike me as a good suggestion,' replied Viner. "'I'm going to have a look at that window.' 
The one window of the room, a long, low one, was set high in the wall, above the panelling. Viner had to climb on a bookcase to get at it, and when he had reached it, he found it to be securely fastened, and to have in front of it, at a distance of no more than a yard, a blank whitewashed wall, which evidently rose from a passage between that and the next house. "'I don't like the look of this at all,' he said, as he got down from the bookcase. "'It seems to me that we might be kept here for a long time.' Miss Wickham showed more astonishment than fear. "'But why should any one want to keep us here for any time?' she asked. "'What's it mean?' "'I wish I knew,' exclaimed Viner. He pulled out his watch and made a mental note of the time. "'We are being kept much longer than we should be in any ordinary case.' he remarked. "'Of course,' admitted Miss Wickham. "'Well past three o'clock, isn't it? If we're delayed much longer, Mrs. Killenhall will be too late for the bank.' "'What bank?' asked Viner. "'My bank. I always give Mrs. Killenhall a check for the weekly bills every Friday, and as we were coming through the city to get here, she said just before we left home that I might as well give her the check and she could call and cash it as we drove back. And—' concluded Miss Wickham. The bank closes at four. Viner began to be suspicious. "'Look here,' he said suddenly. "'Don't think me inquisitive, but what was the amount of the check you gave her?' "'There was no amount stated,' replied Miss Wickham. "'I always give her a blank check, signed, of course, and she fills in the amount herself. It varies according to what she wants.' Without expressing any opinion on the wisdom of handing checks to other people on this plan, Viner turned to Miss Wickham with a further question. "'Do you know anything about Mrs. Killenhall's movements this morning?' he asked. "'Did she go out anywhere?' "'Yes,' replied Miss Wickham. "'She went to the police court to hear the proceedings against Mr. Hyde. She wanted me to go, but I wouldn't. I dislike that sort of thing. She was there all the morning.' "'So was I,' said Viner. "'I didn't see her, but the place was crowded.' "'And she was veiled,' remarked Miss Wickham. "'Naturally, she didn't want people to see her in a place like that.' "'Do you know whether she went to the previous sitting, I mean, when Hyde was brought up the first time?' inquired Viner. "'I remember there were some veiled ladies there, and at the coroner's inquest, too.' "'She was at the coroner's inquest, I know,' replied Miss Wickham. I don't know about the other time. Viner made no remark, and Miss Wickham suddenly lowered her voice and bent nearer to him. Why? she asked. Are you suspecting Mrs. Killenhall of anything, Mr. Viner? Viner gave her a quick glance. Are you? he said in a low tone. Miss Wickham waved a hand towards the anteroom. Well? she whispered. What's it look like? She brings me down here in a hurry, on a message which I myself never heard, nor saw delivered in any way. After I get here, you are fetched, and here we are. And where is she? And possibly a much more pertinent question, said Viner. Where is this Dr. Martin Cole? Look here. This is a well-furnished room. Those pictures are good. There are many valuable things here. Yet the man who practices here is only in attendance for an hour or two in an afternoon and once a week for rather longer in the evening. He can't earn much here. Certainly an East-end doctor could not afford to buy things like this or that. Do you know what I think? I think this man is some West-end man, who, for purposes of his own, has this place down here, a man who probably lives a double life, and may possibly be mixed up in some nefarious practices. And so I propose, as we've waited long enough, to get out of it, and I'm going to smash that window and yell as loud as I can. Somebody will hear it. Miss Wickham pointed to a door in the oak panelling, a door set in a corner of the room, across which hung a heavy curtain of red plush, only half drawn. There's a door there, she remarked, but I suppose it's only a cupboard. Sure to be, said Viner. However, we'll see. He went across, drew the curtain aside, tried the door, looked within, and uttered an exclamation. "'I say!' he called back. "'Stairs!' Miss Wickham came across and looked past his shoulder. 
there was certainly the head of a staircase before him, and a few stairs to be seen before darkness swallowed up the rest, but the darkness was deep, and the atmosphere that came up from below decidedly musty. "'Are you going down there?' she asked. "'I don't like it.' "'It seems our only chance,' answered Viner. He looked back into the room, and seeing some wax candles standing on a writing-table, seized one and lighted it. "'Come along,' he said. "'Let's get out of this altogether.' Miss Wickham gathered up her skirts and followed down the stairs, Viner going cautiously in front, with the light held before him in such a fashion that he could see every step. At a turn in the stairway he came across a door, and, opening it, saw that it stood at the end of a narrow passage running through the house. At the farther end of the passage he recognized an oak cabinet which he had noticed when Mrs. Killenhall first admitted him. "'I see how these people, whoever they are, manage matters,' he remarked over his shoulder as he led his companion forward. "'This place has a front and a back entrance. If you don't want to be seen, you know well, it's convenient.' We are approaching the back, and here it is. The stairs came to an end deep down in the house, terminating in a door which Viner, after leaving his silver-stick candle only blown out on the last step, carefully opened. There before him lay a narrow whitewashed yard, at the end of which they could see a street, evidently pretty much like the rest of the streets in that district. But in the yard a pale-cheeked, sharp-eyed urchin, was feeding a couple of rabbits in a wire-faced soap-box, and him Viner immediately hailed. "'You're a smart-looking lad,' he said. "'Would you like five shillings? Well, have you seen Dr. Martin Cole this afternoon? You know the doctor who comes to the house behind us.' "'See him go out about an hour ago, Governor. We've another agent,' said the lad eagerly, his bright eyes wavering between Viner's face and the hand which he had thrust in his pocket." He pointed to the distant entrance of the yard. "'Went out that way, they did.' "'Ah, and what was the other gentleman like?' asked Viner. "'Swell,' answered the informant. "'Proper swell he was.' "'And Dr. Martin Cole?' Viner continued. "'You've seen him many a time, of course. Now what's he like?' "'He's a tall gentleman,' said the boy, after some evidently painful thought. "'Yes, but what else? Has he got a beard?' asked Viner. "'Couldn't tell you that, Governor, do you see?' said the lad. "'Cause he's one o' enchants, well, also wears a white silk handkerchief about his face up to his eyes. But he's a big man, wears black clothes.' Viner gave the boy his promised reward, and was passing on when Miss Wickham touched his arm. "'Ask if he's seen a lady go out this way,' she said. "'That's equally important.' The boy, duly questioned, nodded his head. "'I see Mrs. Killerby go out not so long since,' he answered. "'Her what used to live here one time. Know her well enough.' "'Come along,' muttered Viner. "'We've hit it. Mrs. Killerby, who is Mrs. Killenhall, used to live here at one time. Good, which means very bad, considering that without doubt the doctor, who wears a white silk handkerchief about his face, is the muffled man of Lonsdale Passage. Miss Wickham, something has alarmed these birds, and they've flown.' "'But why were we brought here?' asked Miss Wickham. "'I've an idea as to why you were,' said Viner, "'and I propose to find out at once if I'm right. Let's get away, find a taxicab, and go to your—' "'But goodness!' he went on, breaking off as two men came into the yard. "'Here's one of Carlos's clerks, and Perkwite the barrister. What are you doing here?' he demanded as Millwaters and Perkwite hurried up. "'Are you after anybody along there, in that house, the one at the end?' "'We're after a good many things, and people in Dr. Martin Cole's place, Mr. Viner,' answered Millwaters. "'Mr. Perkwite and I traced Mr. Cave here early in the afternoon. He went in, but he's never come out. We saw you enter, here you are. We saw Miss Wickham and Mrs. Killenhall. There's Miss Wickham, but where's the other lady? And where?' Viner stopped the clerk's questions with a glance, and he laughed a little as he gave him his answer. "'My dear fellow,' he said, "'you should have posted somebody at the back here.' Why, we don't quite know yet, but Miss Wickham and myself were trapped in there. As for Cave, he must be the man who went away with Martin Cole. As for Mrs. Killenhall, she too has gone. That boy down there saw all three go some time ago while we were locked up. But what made you watch these people? 
"'We followed Kay,' said Perquite, "'because Millwaters had been ordered to do so, "'and because I considered his conduct mysterious. "'Then when we saw what was going on here, "'your arrival following on that of Miss Wickham and Mrs. Killenhall, "'we telephoned for Mr. Carless and more help. "'Carless and Lord Ellingham and a couple of detectives are at the front now. "'Millwaters and I heard from a denizen of these unlovely parts "'that there was a back entrance. "'We tried in vain for the admittance at the front.' "'But they've got in now, Mr. Perkwite!' exclaimed Millwaters suddenly. "'See, there's Mr. Carless at a back window waving to us to come in. "'I suppose we can get in by the back, Mr. Viner.' "'Yes, if you like to take the risk of entering people's houses without permission,' said Viner sardonically. "'I don't think you'll find anybody or anything there. "'As for Miss Wickham and myself, we've an engagement elsewhere.' He hurried his companion away through the street on which they emerged from the whitewashed yard and out into the Whitechapel Road. He hurried her, too, into the first taxicab which came along empty. "'Now,' he said as they stepped in, "'tell this man the name of your bank and let him go there, quick!' End of chapter 27 The Back Way Chapter Twenty Eight of the Middle of Things. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Middle of Things by J. S. Fletcher. Chapter Twenty Eight. The Truth. Four o'clock had struck, and the doors of the bank were closed when Miss Wickham and Viner hurried up to it. But there was a private entrance at the side and the man who answered their summons made no difficulty about admitting them when Miss Wickham said who she was, and within a few minutes they were closeted with a manager who, surprised when they entered, was astonished before many words had been exchanged, for during their dash from the Whitechapel streets Viner had coached his companion as to the questions he wished her to put on arrival at the bank, and she went straight to the point. "'I wanted to know if my companion, Mrs. Killenhall, had called here this afternoon,' began Miss Wickham. "'She has,' answered the manager. "'I happened to see her, and I attended to her myself.' "'Did she present a cheque from me?' inquired Miss Wickham. "'Certainly, and I cashed it,' said the manager. He gave his customer and her companion a look of interrogation, which had a good deal of surprise in it. "'Why?' he continued, glancing at Miss Wickham. "'Wasn't it in order?' "'That,' replied Miss Wickham, "'depends upon the amount.' "'The amount!' he exclaimed. "'You know, if the drawer, it was for ten thousand pounds.' "'Then Mrs. Killenhall has done me or you out of that,' said Miss Wickham. "'The cheque I gave her was to have been filled up for the amount of the usual weekly bills, twenty pounds or so. Ten thousand! Ridiculous!' "'But it all seemed in order.' exclaimed the concerned manager. She was as plausible and all that, and really you know Miss Wickham, we know her very well, and in addition to that you have a very large balance lying here. Mrs. Killenhall merely mentioned that you wanted this amount in notes and that she had called for it, and of course I cashed the cheque, your cheque, remember, at once. I hadn't filled in the amount, remarked Miss Wickham. Mrs. Killenhall had often presented cheques bearing your signature in which you hadn't filled in the amount, said the manager. There was nothing unusual, I assure you, in any detail of the affair. The most important detail now, observed Viner dryly, is to find Mrs. Killenhall. The manager, who was obviously filled with amazement at Mrs. Killenhall's audacity, looked from one to the other of his visitors, as if he could scarcely credit their suggestion. "'You really mean me to believe that Mrs. Killenhall has got ten thousand pounds out of Miss Wickham by a trick?' he asked, fixing his gaze at last on Viner. "'What I really mean you to believe,' said Viner, rising, "'is that a rapid series of events this afternoon has proved to me that Mrs. Killenhall is one of a gang who are responsible for the murder of John Ashton, who stole his diamond and certain papers,' and who have endeavoured very cleverly to foist one of their number, a scoundrelly clever actor, on the public as a peer of the realm who had been missing. 
Mrs. Killinhall, who has another name, probably got wind of possible detection about noon today, and took advantage of Miss Wickham's habit of giving her a weekly check to provide herself with ample funds. That's really about the truth. And I think Miss Wickham and I had better be seeing the police. The very best thing you can do, responded the manager with alacrity, and take my advice and go straight to headquarters. Go to New Scotland Yard. Just think what this woman and her accomplices could do. If she or they had one hour's start of you, they can have already put a good distance between themselves and London. They can be halfway to Dover, or Harwich, or Southampton, and therefore—' "'And therefore all the more reason why we should set somebody on their trail,' interrupted Viner, and hurried Miss Wickham out of the manager's room, and away to the taxicab which he had purposely kept in waiting. I don't think Mrs. Killenhall, or Killerby, or whatever her name is, will have hurried away as quickly as all that.' he remarked as they sped along toward Whitehall. My own idea is that, having got hold of your money, she'll probably have made for the headquarters of this precious gang. She and they are sure to have one, for I should say the place in Whitechapel was only an outpost, and they'll be better able to arrange an escape from there than she would to make an immediate flight. She? But what are you thinking?' that I seem to be involved somehow in a very strange and curious combination of things, answered Miss Wickham. Just so, agreed Viner, so do I, and I was literally pitchforked into the very midst of it all by sheer accident. If I hadn't happened to go out for a late stroll on the night on which it began, I should never have, but here we are. The official of the Criminal Investigation Department, with whom they were shortly closeted, listened carefully and silently to Viner's account of all that had happened. He was one of those never-to-be-sufficiently-praised individuals who never interrupt and always understand, and at the close of Viner's story he said exactly what the narrator was thinking. "'The real truth of all this, Mr. Viner,' he said, "'is that this is probably one of the last chapters in the history of the Lonsdale Passage murder.' for if you find this woman and the men who are undoubtedly her accomplices you will most likely have found in one or other of them the murderer of john ashton precisely agreed viner precisely the official rose from his seat and turned to the door drillford of our nearest police station had this case in charge he remarked i'll just call him on the telephone he left the room and was away for several minutes. When he returned, there was something like a smile on his face. "'If you and Miss Wickham will drive along and see Drillford, Mr. Viner,' he said, "'I think you'll find he's some news for you.' "'Has he told it to you?' demanded Viner. "'Well, just a little,' answered the official with another smile. "'But I won't rob him of the pleasure of telling you himself. You ought to be disappointed. However, I'll just tell you enough to whet your appetite for more.' Drillford is confident that he's just arrested the real man. No, no more, he added with a laugh. He'll run up there in twenty minutes. Drillford, cool and confident as ever, was alone in his office when Viner and his companion were shown in. He looked at Miss Wickham with considerable curiosity as he handed her a chair, and Viner noticed that the bow he made her was unusually respectful but he immediately plunged into the pertinent subject and turned to viner with a laugh of self-deprecation well mr viner he said you were right and i was wrong it wasn't that young fellow hyde who killed mr ashton and now that i know who did i don't mind saying that i'm jolly glad that his innocence will be established but do you know who did asked viner eagerly i do answered drillford who then exclaimed Viner. "'He's in the cells at the back now,' said Drillford, "'and I only hope he's not one of those chaps who are so clever that they can secrete poison to the very last moment, and then cheat the gallows, for now that I know as much as I do, I should say he's as pretty a specimen of the accomplished scoundrel as ever put on fine clothes. Dr. Cortillon of your square.' This sudden and surprising revelation, made in ordinary matter-of-fact tones, produced different effects on the two people to whom it was made. Viner, after a start and a smothered exclamation, stared silently at Drillford, as if he scarcely comprehended his meaning. But Miss Wickham, with a quick flush which evidently denoted suddenly awakened recollection, broke into words. 
Dr. Cortillon, she exclaimed. Ah, I remember now. Mr. Ashton once told me in quite a casual way, as we were passing through the square, that he had known Dr. Cortillon in Australia years and years ago. Drillford glanced at Viner and smiled. I wish you'd remember that little matter before, Miss Wickham, he said. It might have saved a lot of trouble. Well, Cortillon's the man, and it all came about quite suddenly this afternoon. Through your aunt, Mr. Viner, Miss Pankridge. Smart lady, sir. My aunt! exclaimed Viner. Why, how on earth? Some of your gentlemen had a conference with that fellow Cave at your house after you left court this morning, said Drillford. Miss Pankridge was present. Cave told more of his cock-and-bull story, and produced a certain letter which he said had been handed to him at the hotel he'd put up at. All that and all the stuff he told at the police court was bluff, carefully concocted by himself and Cortillon in case Cave was ever put in a tight corner. Now, according to what she tells me, Miss Pankridge immediately spotted something about that letter which none of you gentlemen were clever enough to see. I know, interrupted Viner. She saw that the envelope and paper had been supplied by Bigglesforth of Craven Gardens, and that a certain letter in the typewriter which had been used was defective. Just so, laughed Drillford, and so, being, as I say, a smart woman, she went round to Bigglesforth, got him to herself, and made some inquiries. And it's very queer, Mr. Viner, how some of these apparently intricate cases are easily solved by one chance discovery. She hadn't been talking to Bigglesforth ten minutes before she was on the right track. Bigglesforth, when he'd got to know the main features of the case, was willing enough to help, and your aunt immediately brought him round to here to see me, and I knew at once that we'd got right there. "'Yes, but how exactly?' asked Viner. "'Bigglesforth,' answered Drillford, "'told me that he had supplied stationery to Dr. Cortillon for some time.' And he had no doubt that the paper and envelope described by Miss Pankridge was some which he had specially secured for the doctor. But he told something far more important. Six months ago, Cortillon went to Bigglesforth and asked him if he could get him a good second-hand typewriter. Now Bigglesforth had a very good one for which he had no use, and he at once sold it to Cortillon. Bigglesforth didn't mention the matter to his customer, for the machine was perfect in all other respects, but one of the letters was defective, broken. That was the same letter, Mr. Viner, which was defective in the document which Cave showed to you gentlemen and spoke of previously in court. "'Extraordinary!' muttered Viner. "'What a piece of luck!' "'No, sir,' said Drillford stoutly. "'No luck at all. Just a bit of good common sense, thinking on the part of a shrewd woman.' "'But you'll want to know what we did. "'I was so absolutely certain of the truth of Miss Pankridge's theory "'that I immediately made preparations for a descent on Cortillon's house. "'I got a number of our best men, detectives, of course, "'and we went round to Markendale Square, back in front. "'Inquiries show that Cortillon was out, "'but we had scarcely got that fact certain "'when he drove up in a taxicab with Cave himself. "'They hurriedly entered the house.' I myself was watching from a good point of vantage, and I saw that both men were, to say the least, anxious and excited. Then I began to make final preparations, but before I had finished telling my men exactly what to do, another party drove up, your companion, Miss Wickham, Mrs. Killenhall. She too entered, then I moved quick. Some of us went to the front, I with the others went in by the back. We made straight for Cortillon's surgery, and we were on him and the other two before they had time to move. Literally. The two men certainly tried to draw revolvers, but we were too many for them, and as they had tried that game, I had him handcuffed there and then. It was all an affair of a moment, and of course they saw it was all up. Now, equally of course, Mr. Viner, in all these cases, in my experience, the subordinates immediately try to save their own skins by denouncing the principal, and so it was so in this instance. Mrs. Killenhall and Cave at once denounced Cortillon as the mainspring, and the woman, who's a regular coward, got me aside and offered to turn King's evidence, and whispered that Cortillon actually killed Ashton himself, unaided, as he let him out of his back door into Lonsdale Passage. "'So that's settled!' exclaimed Viner. "'Yes, I think so,' agreed Drillford. "'Well, we brought them all here, and charged them, and examined them. 
nothing much on cave who of course is precisely what hyde said he was a man named nugent star an old actor if he was as good a performer on the stage as he is in private life he ought to have done well but on mrs killenhall we found ten thousand pounds in bank of england notes and one or two letters from cortelion which she was a fool for keeping for they clearly proved that she was an accessory and on cortelion we'd a big find that diamond that ashton used to carry about the other ring that ashton was wearing when he was murdered and perhaps most important of all certain papers which he had no doubt taken from ashton's body what are they demanded viner drillford glanced at miss wickham well he said i've only just had time to glance at them but i should say that they affect miss wickham in a very surprising fashion and i shall be glad to hand them over to her solicitors as soon as they come for them their birth certificates burial certificates marriage certificates and a complete memorandum of a certain case evidently written out with great care by ashton himself and of course knowing what i do now it's very clear to me how ashton's murder came about cortelion knew that if ashton was out of the way and he himself in possession of the papers he could use some suppress others and foist off an accomplice of his own as claimant to a title which from what i've seen appears without doubt to belong to drillford was again glancing at miss wickham but viner contrived to stop any further revelations and got to his feet extraordinary he said but my aunt where is she she remained here until we had safely caged the birds answered drillford then she said she'd go home and i suppose you'll find her there viner took his companion away from the police station in silence but at the end of the street miss wickham looked back are those three people really locked up in cells close by where we were sitting with the inspector she asked just so answered viner and will they all be hanged she whispered i sincerely hope one will exclaimed viner what she inquired did the inspector mean about the papers found on dr cortelion i have some uneasy feeling that i think you'd better wait said viner there'll have to be some queer explanations we must let mr paul and mr carless know of what's happened they're the proper people to deal with this affair and then as they turned into markendale square they saw mr paul and mr carless who with lord ellingham were hurrying from miss wickham's house in the direction of viner's mr carless quickened his pace and came toward them i was so upset when i heard from perkwide that miss wickham has been in that house in whitechapel he said that on learning she'd gone off with you viner lord ellingham and i drove to paul's and brought him on here to learn if she'd got home and what had happened what had happened demanded mr paul what is it viner viner gathered them round him with a look this has happened he said the whole thing's solved ashton's murderer is found and he and his accomplices are under lock and key listen and i'll tell you all that's been done since one o'clock up here while we've been at the other end of the town but i'll only give you an outline well then the three men listened in dead silence until Viner had repeated Drillford's story. Then Mr. Paul glanced round at the window of Viner's house. "'Miss Pankridge, by all that's wonderful,' he said in a deep voice. "'Most extraordinary. Where is she?' "'At home, I should imagine,' answered Viner with a laugh. "'Then, my dear sir, by all means let us pay our respects to her,' said Mr. Paul. "'A tribute.' "'By all means,' exclaimed Mr. Carless, "'a just tribute, richly deserved.' "'I should like to add my small quota,' said Lord Ellingham. Viner led the way into his house and to the drawing-room. Miss Penkridge, in her best cap, was calmly dispensing tea to the two Hyde sisters, who were regarding her with obvious admiration. She looked round on her nephew and the flood of callers, as if to ask what most of them were doing there and viner knowing miss pankridge's peculiar humour rose to the occasion my dear aunt he said in a hushed voice these gentlemen having heard of your extraordinary achievement this afternoon have come to lay at your feet their united tribute of miss pankridge shot a warning glance through her still reamed spectacles don't talk nonsense richard she exclaimed sharply ring the bell for more cups and saucers End of chapter 28 The Truth
Chapter Twenty Nine of the Middle of Things. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Middle of Things by J. S. Fletcher. Chapter Twenty Nine. Who is to tell her? But Viner, instead of ordering the teacups, whispered a word or two to Miss Penkridge, and then beckoned Lord Ellingham and the two solicitors to follow him out of the room. He silently led them to his study and closed the door. "'Miss Wickham will be all right for a while under my aunt's care,' he said, with a smile that had a certain meaning in it which was not lost on Mr. Paul or on Mr. Carless but there are matters connected with her which ought not to wait even for ten minutes hanging around miss pankridge's tea-table now i have been thrown headlong into this case and like all the rest of you i am pretty well acquainted with it and i take it that now that the murder of ashton has been solved the real question is what is the truth about the young lady who was certainly his ward that is right exclaimed mr paul carless and lord ellingham i am sure agree with me absolutely as far as i am concerned asserted mr carless his lordship will speak for himself lord ellingham answered viner's smile with one equally frank i don't know whether i am lord ellingham or not he said i have had considerable doubt on that point ever since our conference the other day but i will say this gentlemen I had some conversation with Miss Wickham the other day, after we left your office, Mr. Carless, when she was kind enough to allow me to escort her home. And, well, to be frank, gentlemen, whether she is my cousin or not, I, to me an old-fashioned phrase, desire her better acquaintance. And if she is my cousin, why, then, the title is not mine but hers. The two lawyers exchanged significant glances. Admirably spoken, my lord, said Mr. Paul. Excellent! "'It is just what I would have expected of his lordship,' remarked Mr. Carless. "'I have known his lordship since he was first breached. "'But I believe Mr. Viner has something to say.' "'Yes, this,' answered Viner. "'Drillford found on Cortelion the papers which are missing from those which Ashton had evidently kept together, "'with a view to proving his ward's right to the title and estates.' He is a sharp fellow, Drillford, and he told me just now that he had glanced over those papers since Cortillon's arrest, and he, well, I only just stopped him from letting out to Miss Wickham, who, if the papers and the deduction to be drawn from them are correct, she really is. I am right in supposing, he continued, suddenly interrupting himself, that the Ellingham title runs in the female as in the male line. "'Quite right, Mr. Viner,' said Mr. Carless. "'Quite right. It does. I believe I mentioned the other day that there has already been one Countess of Ellingham in her own right. The male line came to an end at one period. The daughter of the last male-holder succeeded, and the man whom she married took the family name of Cave Grey, and their eldest son, of course, succeeded on the death of his mother. Quite right, sir.' then suggested viner don't you think it would be advisable rather than that lord ellingham should be kept in suspense that we should go around to the police station and inspect the documents i don't know whether drillford will give them up until his prisoners have been brought before the magistrate but he said he would give them to the proper persons eventually and in any case he will show them to you three gentlemen good said mr paul let us go at once it is only a few minutes walk and in the meantime suggested mr carless miss wickham might be asked to remain here under the wing of the excellent miss pankridge viner laughingly remarked that he had no doubt whatever that miss pankridge would willingly assume this position of trust and leading his callers into the hall left them for a moment while he returned to the drawing-room he was smiling when he returned i think miss wickham will be safe for some time he said horrified as she is at the conduct of the wicked mrs killenhall she is sufficiently feminine to be taking a vast interest in my aunt's account of how she brought off her wonderful stroke of genius this afternoon so shall we go round drillford found alone in his office showed no surprise when viner brought in and introduced his companions he already knew the two lawyers, and exchanged comprehending words with them, but he looked at Lord Ellingham with the same interest which Viner had seen in him when Miss Wickham was present. 
"'Of course you may see the whole lot, gentlemen,' he said, as he unlocked the drawer. "'I don't want you to take these things away now, though, because we'd like to produce them when these people are brought up to-morrow morning. But after they've been shown, I'll hand them over, and in the meantime you can rely on it that they'll be taken care of, rather. Well, now, here's the missing ring.' Hyde, you know, admitted to picking up one. This is the other, without doubt. And there's the fifty-thousand-pound diamond.' Of course, Cortillon robbed Ashton after he'd killed him as a piece of bluff. What he wanted was these papers. He evidently gave Cave, or Star, his accomplice, certain of the papers to play the game with. But the really important ones he kept in his own pocket, where I found him. There you are, gentlemen. He handed over a stout, linen-lined, full-scap envelope to Mr. Carless, and that gentleman, whose fingers trembled a little in spite of his determined attempt to preserve his professional coolness, drew certain papers from it, and laying them on a desk close by, beckoned the other men to his elbows, and began to examine them. For several minutes the four pairs of eyes ran over the various documents, Mr. Carless's finger pointing to one particular passage or another during their hasty perusal, and he and Mr. Paul nodding assent as they exchanged glances and muttered remarks. "'Not a doubt of it!' exclaimed Mr. Carless suddenly. "'Not one doubt! Observe the extraordinary care which the missing Lord Marketstoke took to safeguard his own interests and those of his daughter.' in case he ever wished to revive his claims. Here, for instance, is his marriage certificate. You see, he took good care to be married in his own real proper legal name. Here again is the birth certificate of his daughter. You see how she is described, Avis Wickham, Cave Gray, daughter of etc., etc. And here is his death certificate. That, too, is all in order. You see, all these are duly attested copies. We could, of course, insist on having them verified over there, but I've no doubt about their genuineness. What do you say, Paul? I should say there's no doubt whatever, answered Mr. Paul readily. But now, this memorandum, evidently written by Ashton himself in London soon after he got here? Mr. Carlos ran his eye over the document which Mr. Paul indicated. I, he said, a most important, most valuable piece of evidence. You see that Cortillon's name is mentioned in it. What's he say? The only man besides myself who is in full possession of the facts. Gad, that'll hang this scoundrel. Yes, here it is, the full history of the case, very lucidly summarized. He must have been a very good business man, this unfortunate Ashton. Poor fellow. But what's this he's put at the end, as a sort of note? Since arriving in England and making inquiries in London and about Marketstoke and Ellingham as to the character and abilities of the young man who is the present holder of the title and estates, which are by right my wards, I have had considerable doubt as to whether or not I should exercise the discretion extended to me by her father. Having no body of my own, I have left her all my fortune, which is a handsome one, and she will be a rich woman." The young man seems to be an estimable and promising young fellow, and I am much exercised in mind as to whether it might not be best if Cortillon and I kept the secret to ourselves until our deaths. Mr. Carlos read this passage aloud, and then smote the desk heavily with his hand. "'There's the secret of the murder!' he exclaimed. "'You see, gentlemen, Ashton, one holder of the secret, was honest. The other, Cortillon, was a rogue.' Ashton wanted nothing for himself. Cortillon wanted to profit. Cortillon saw that by killing Ashton he alone would have the secret. He evidently got two accomplices who were necessary to him, and he meant, by suppressing certain facts and enlarging on others, to palm off an impostor, who, mark this, could be squared by one hundred thousand pounds. Oh, a bad fellow! Keep him tight, Mr. Inspector, keep him tight!' "'You needn't bother yourself, Mr. Carless,' answered Drillford, laconically. "'We'll see to that.' Mr. Carless again cast an eye on the passage he had just read, and then, touching Lord Ellingham's arm, drew his attention to it again, whispering something in his ear at which the young man's cheek reddened. Then he gathered up the papers, carefully replaced them in their linen-lined envelope, and handed them to Drillford. "'Much obliged to you,' he said. "'Now, at what time are these miscreants to be put in the dock to-morrow? 
ten sharp? Then, he declared with a shrewd glance, I shall be there, and in all my experience I shall never have set eyes on a worse scoundrel than the chief one of them. Now, gentlemen, shall we go? Outside, Mr. Carless took Lord Ellingham's arm. You know what this really means to you, he said. Lord Ellingham laughed. Of course, he answered. Remember, continued Mr. Carless, with a knowing glance at Mr. Paul, you needn't give in without a struggle. You can make a big fight. You're in possession. It would take a long time to turn you out. You can have litigation as much as ever you wish. But I don't think there's the least doubt that the young woman we're going back to is your cousin, and therefore Countess of Ellingham. Neither do I, said his client with a smile. Nor, I think, does Mr. Paul. Not a doubt of it affirmed Mr. Paul. Very well, said Mr. Carless, and pulled his companions to a halt. Then the question now is, who is to tell her? The two lawyers and Viner looked from one another to Lord Ellingham, but Lord Ellingham was already eager and responsive. Gentlemen, he said quickly, I claim that right. If I am to abdicate in favor of another, let me have at any rate the privilege of first greeting the new sovereign— Besides, as I have already said to you, Mr. Carless interrupted him by pointing toward Viner's house, of which they were now in sight. I dare say our friend Viner, who has, as he says, been strangely mixed up in this strange affair, can manage matters, he said dryly. And as things are, nothing could be better. Viner took his companions back into his library, and opening a door, showed Lord Ellingham a small study which lay beyond. "'I'll bring Miss Wickham to you at once,' he said. Then, with a glance at the two lawyers, which went round again to Lord Ellingham, he added quietly, "'When you have told her, you'll let us know what she says?' "'Aye, aye,' muttered Mr. Paul. "'Good, we must know that.' Viner went away to the drawing-room, and presently brought Miss Wickham back with him. She looked from one solicitor to the other with something of a smile. "'More mystery?' she asked. Mr. Carless, with a courtly bow, took the girl's hand. "'My dear young lady,' he said, "'there is this time a mystery to be explained, "'and allow me to hand you into this room. "'There is a young gentleman in here who will explain it, "'all of it a thousand times better than we old foggies possibly could.' "'He closed the door on her and turned to Mr. Paul. "'I'll trouble you for a pinch of that old snuff of yours, Paul,' he said. "'Um, dear me, what extraordinary moments we do pass through. "'Viner, my dear fellow, you're a book collector, I know. "'To, uh, pass the time, show me some of your treasures.' Ten minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes went by while Viner showed some of his most treasured possessions in the way of print and binding to the two old lawyers. They were both past masters in the art of make-believe, and they contrived to show great interest in what was exhibited to them, but Viner knew very well that when Mr. Paul was expatiating on the merits of an Elsevier, or Mr. Carless on the beauties of a Grolier, they were really wondering what the two young people in the next room, so strangely thrown together, were saying to each other. And then, as he was about to unlock a cabinet and bring out a collection of autograph letters, the door of the inner room was opened, and the two appeared on the threshold, one looking extremely confident, and the other full of blushes and sur surprise, and they were holding each other's hands. "'Gentlemen are very good friends,' said Lord Ellingham. "'It is only right that we should take you into our confidence at once.' "'There will be no litigation, Mr. Carless, no difficulties, Mr. Paul. "'I absolutely insist on resigning what is not mine to my cousin, the Countess of Ellingham, "'and not in any return, gentlemen. "'She has promised to give me something which I shall prize far more than any title or any estate, you understand. "'And now, if Mr. Viner will excuse me, there are just a few more things we have to say to each other, and then—' He drew the girl back into the room and closed the door, and the three men, once more left to themselves, solemnly shook hands with each other, heaving sighs of infinite delight and gratification. End of chapter 29 Who is to tell her? End of the Middle of Things by J. S. Fletcher mm -hmm.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.